Welcome to Opsy, a podcast for people doing Opsy work in tech. I'm your host, Carol Griffin, and every month I dig into what Opsy work really is by talking to an operations pro who has something really cool to teach us. In a traditional part of ops like HR or finance, or a newer specialty like no-code ops or marketing ops. Thanks for listening. Today, I'm here with Vanessa Kotlar, VP of People and Culture at PolicyMe, an insurance tech startup based in Canada. Vanessa is a thought leader in the people operations space and can often be found sharing best practices for hybrid and remote teams, especially as it pertains to employee engagement and the importance of flexibility. These are always great topics to dive into, but I think they're especially important to think about right now. Things have gotten a little tough in tech recently, and it's easy to deprioritize the people stuff when budgets get cut and hiring slows. But so often that's when we really do need to focus on it, and it comes back to bite us later. So I'm excited to chat with Vanessa about how she found herself in people ops, what her day-to-day looks like as a VP of people and culture, and a few of her pro tips for supporting team members in times like these. So welcome, Vanessa. Thanks so much for coming on and sharing your story with us. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. So I guess like, let's just start at the present day. Tell us a little bit about your current role in company. Yeah, of course. It's, it's lovely to be here to share a little bit more with you and feel free to ask me any follow-up. So in, in terms of my day-to-day, I oversee everything on the people side of things at PolicyMe. That basically means the entire gambit of recruitment, employee experience, onboarding, offboarding. How do we make people uh, love their day-to-day? How do we create culture remotely? When do we need to get together in person? Basically, everything under the umbrella of people and culture is, is what sits within me. And I also sit on the leadership team of our company. So I would say about 80% of my time is fully people and culture, and then 20% uh, is more around what is the direction of our organization, where are we going, things around our structure, how do we support essentially our strategic initiatives uh, as well. And in terms of policy, me, like you said, digital insurance company based out of Toronto. We are just over 50 employees now, uh, which is great to see. We've been growing steadily over the last few years, and we're just about five years old. So it's a it's been a really exciting time for us over the last few months. Yeah, I mean, 20%, that's a pretty substantial amount of your time. And, and I guess, I don't know what I would expect it to be. I guess like, yeah, even maybe right up there and very efficient use of your time. So like, tell us a little bit more about what a VP of people and culture does. Like, what does your day to day look like? So I think it's hard because there's no like one standard day. Uh, I When people always ask me the, the day-to-day question, I always very literally pull up my calendar and look at the day before and walk them through what I did. So I'm going to do that while we're doing this so that I can tell you. So I'm just pulling out my calendar. It's It's a really good way I find just to level set in terms of kind of like what a day includes. Okay, so... I'm going to tell you like a mix of Monday and Tuesday, just so you can get a good sense of what things included. So uh, usually a a meeting with, there's two people on my team now. I recently brought on a second person in February and have one person that does recruitment full-time and another person that does about half recruitment and then half people and culture, uh, just depending on on the needs of the business. So we level sets, we go through the pipelines, we make sure the pipelines are healthy we think about, okay, if there's a role we're struggling, what are we going to do for it? So thinking through the recruitment strategies, do we need to be promoting this role on LinkedIn? Do we need to be going to more events, speaking to more people, doing more outreach? What really are the ways that we're going to find top of the funnel? And then if there's issues later through the funnel, uh, understand what's going on with hiring managers, really get into their heads, see where we're missing the mark and where we need to do better. So 
I would definitely say there's a recruitment component to, to my day to day, just given the nature of the fact that we are yeah. generally always hiring. In addition to that, uh, this one was just particular to this week. We do a quarterly engagement survey. And basically, the, the purpose of that is to get a sense of how people are feeling across the entire organization. This is going to be our seventh since I've started oh, wow. that we do. Yeah. So we have quite a lot of data now as to how things have been progressing each quarter. We use a tool called CultureAmp and we compare um, ourselves against us and also companies like us. So we can get a sense of how we're doing. And the really neat part about that is we share results with the entire company. And every quarter as a people team, we take a direct piece that's recommended as an action out of that survey and include it in our roadmap for the following quarter so that it's really responsive to, to the needs of our people. I also had a couple coaching calls with our managers. So essentially understanding what's going on with their teams, things that they may need help or support with, chatting through different strategies. We are gearing up to plan our next in-person event. We do three of these a year and our next one is late May. So we're just finalizing uh, the evening component. We are set on the daytime component, but it's still, it's still a secret. We haven't told the company yet. So unfortunately, I can't tell you today. I'll tell you a little bit more about the past ones and kind of what we're thinking uh, for this one. I also had a check-in with our founders, just around things that are going on for them. We're always chatting on a weekly basis, sometimes more, just about the things that we need to be prioritizing and reprioritizing. Yeah. So yeah, I think that gives you like a little bit of a sample. There's lots of different things that go on as well. So if there's any employee that's having issues, I may be having a conversation about that. If it's getting closer to performance review season, I may be looking at compensation and what that looks like. We are really focused on continuous feedback as a company too. So if I see that that's not happening, ways to focus on that. And then maybe the last thing I will add is yesterday I was also working on, uh, we're doing a six month manager training program and leadership training program. We have two cohorts going on right now and session five for our managers is this Friday. So yesterday I was just doing a little bit of prep for that. And then session seven for our leadership team is coming up as well. So I was working on that too. So lots of things. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So we, we actually have a really good um, partner in the US called Elevate and they help me co-create content. So I run the sessions, but the, the delivery, the content component uh, is built with them. So they've been an incredible, incredible partner. Oh, that's awesome. That's like a really nice distribution, especially when you're, you know, a small people team. That yes, has a lot of for sure. Uh, you know, and a lot of competing priorities. And so speaking of those, I feel like something we all struggle with these days, especially with just like Slack always picking in the background is how do you stay, how do you like juggle the competing priorities of these long-term initiatives and, you know, even performance review season and these bigger projects with the reactive nature that is people up sometimes, right? Like people are unpredictable and sometimes individual situations come up. Yeah, I'd love to hear how you how you think about that balance. Yeah, so it's actually interesting. We talked about this with our founders in terms of the how much capacity of Vanessa needs to just be remaining open for the day-to-day, -day, which is like this bucket of things that we can't predict but over time, we can sort of predict a little bit better, which is people that need my time, questions, this or that, or things that are going on that I get pulled in different directions. So I would say, usually I find there's like a fluctuation of like 30-ish percent in my day. This is not exact science. I know I'm saying very specific percentages, but you know, I'd say about 30%. And I say 30 because it's less than half, but a little bit more than a quarter of my day mm -hmm. that goes towards like things that come up on a daily basis. 
And then otherwise, I would say I can pretty much predict what I'll be working on. So I organize my weeks and my time based on the highest priority items. Like you said, some are longer term projects, some are quarterly projects. And it just depends based on what we need. Right. So we're still growing as a company. So I think about there's certain things that we need to continue to lay the foundation for as we continue to get bigger. And then there's other areas where it's more like what I was talking about before. Maybe something comes out of an engagement survey that requires immediate action that next quarter. So it's really balancing all of those things. But I always say, if you're in the people space, you can't have your entire day booked because things come up every day. And part of the role is being there to support the day-to-day of the business and all of those needs that come up. Yeah, absolutely. And it's great that you, I don't know, you and your team are like recognizing that, right? And it sounds like you've had that conversation with your founders. Yes. Sometimes that's that's a harder pill for for founders to swallow. So I'm glad that that's like been worked into your your role. You know, and speaking of that, um, let's talk about the, the culture piece of your title a little bit. This isn't completely uncommon in tech. Um, and even when it's not explicitly part of the title, culture is usually like kind of de facto owned by the people ops people at a company. So was it important to you to explicitly state that in your title? Tell us a little bit about how that came about. Yeah. So when I first joined, the title was head of people operations, and we progressed to head of people and culture and then VP of people and culture, just as the role evolved and kind of things moved on, I would say it's funny. Like I think people operations, people and culture, the roles are very, very similar. I think where I prefer the people and culture title is it just creates that call out to the fact that this is a really important component of it. And it's something that we are prioritizing. And we want to make sure that this is a really great place where people love to show up every day. But I will say that my peers that are the VP of people operations also are owning that cultural agenda. And I do think something to be mindful of is I really don't think the people operations or people and culture team should be the sole owner of culture. That is really not a good way to create something that scales, to create something that is truly the culture and permeated throughout the organization. Like it really needs to be, what is the founder's vision for this company? What do we want it to be? Let's create values that we actually feel are true for us, that we're aligned to. Let's make sure we're co-creating with the rest of the leadership team. Let's make sure that all the employees understand these. How do they come up? What do they mean? How do we live them out? So I really think it's broader than just any one team owning it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a good culture is, right? It's like it's like you said, you you spoke a little bit about the values and you know, so often they're just they're just words on a wall, they're aspirational instead of what we actually are. And so that yeah. co-creation piece is so important, right? And so how do we use people ops as like a facilitator or like a leader, you know, in that, like something to, to help us co-author. I really like that, that way of putting it, you know, obviously a big role, lots on your plate. Sounds like, you know, culture is a really big piece of it. Mm-hmm. How would you describe, like, what's your guiding light for your role? Like what is, how does it tie into like the mission of the business? Yeah. I mean, so I don't want this to sound simple, but I think building a place where people love to show up every day really is what it's about. It's just, there's so much behind that, right? Like it really is about listening to what your employees need, listening to where is the market going? What is the vision of the founders? How are we evolving as a business? How do we continue to incorporate new things that are happening versus the business needs and like managing all of that and like balancing how we want to be structured and set up as a business. But I really do think when I think about like the North Star or guiding star for me, it really is, you know, let's build a place where people love to show up every day. 
You know, I think we spend so much time at work and we all know this. These are like, this is not new, but it's just, if it's still so common that people say, I don't really like my job that much. Or like, you know, when you talk to people candidly, I I don't know about you, but a lot of people say to me, yeah, like "Mm, our culture is okay. Or like, you know, people say that it's going to be really great. And then it's kind of like, meh. I think for me, I'm very open, very honest, very transparent. And we just try to tackle the things as best as we can. We're not perfect. I think it would be unrealistic to say we're ever going to be, but we just keep working on it together. Totally. And before you dig into it, it does sound really simple, but it is the most simple things that are often the most challenging, right? Yeah. Because they sound easy and they get underestimated. And I think you and I have this in common and that it is, that's like how I think about it a lot too. Even now that I'm not in like a people ops dedicated role anymore, it's still build. I want to build a good business that's like sustainable and that I can be proud of, but that also is a great place for people to work. And I think earlier yeah. in my career, I really thought I had to be at a nonprofit, right? Or I had to be at this company yeah. that was like really like focused on like the better good and, and mission driven as we, as it's so often referred to. And I think you can be mission driven and still be like focused on your business and running a business, right? And at the end of the day, I was like, you know, I think I can be proud of just like building a company where 30 people uh, enjoy coming to work and can bring their full selves to work. Like you said, it's such a big part of their lives, of their day, but also their families and their communities. And that has such a ripple of impact. It truly does. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit more about how you found yourself in this role and people ops in general. So like, what do, what do you love about people ops and what what drew you to it? Yeah. So I would say I've spoken to other peers about this and I don't really think there's like a conventional path to end up here because, you know, I would say there's the people that knew the whole time and grew up through the HR world, but then there's Mm -hmm. a big chunk of us that just didn't. So I actually started out in management consulting, doing strategy consulting for Monitor Deloitte, which is the strategy group at Deloitte. So big strategy projects, lots of travel internationally. And there, there were kind of two things there. So first I was always thinking about like, what is the impact to the people of the work we're recommending? Mm-hmm. And second, I used to lead recruitment for, for Queen's University, which is where I went to undergrad side of desk. And I loved bringing people into the business. I was just so passionate about it. And back in 2018, I ended up co-founding an HR tech startup, moved to Germany with it. Wow. It was like a whole different part of my life. Well, you just slipped that in there. It's like NBD, moved to Germany, started an HR tech startup. Yeah, like- it was like a whole going around the world with it. It was like a whole a whole moment. And then after that, you know, like most startups didn't work out, ended up just moving into the the people space more fully. And yeah, I just, I haven't looked back since. Um, and I, I really do love it. Similar to what you were saying before, I think earlier in my career, I also felt, you know, nonprofits are the place to have an impact. But now I really do think that you, you can really impact people day to day. And it's really not about like, the millions, but it's like, how do I create a great place for for these humans and for myself and for us to enjoy our lives? So yeah, it's been really meaningful. Yeah. So that everyone, I mean, so actually a little bit of a pivot here. Um, So Policy Me is a hybrid uh, team, right? So you're somewhat remote, but you have an in-person location? We do, but we are like flexible, right? There's no, I wouldn't call us hybrid because we don't have a requirement to go in the office. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, it really is you work from wherever you work best. We did have employees ask for a place in person in Toronto. So this is our second year now with office space. We had a different office last year and we moved into a new space this year. So it's there. And I would say anywhere from like one to 10 people go in every day. And then when we get together in person, that's, you know, the broader group of like the 50 of us that are in person. 
Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and that just really speaks to that. You know, there is no requirement to be in person. It is flexible. Everyone gets to live their own life. And I know yours, you're a girl after my own heart and involves a lot of travel. And actually, I think we're both in Mexico, different parts of Mexico right now. But, you know, so that you get to do that and people who want to be in an office get to do that. So um, it sounds like you'll really... Exactly. Yeah. It's about personal choice. So it feels like you've really prioritized flexibility when you think about kind of the policies that you've put in place and those structures. Um, I feel like this requires really good asynchronous communication and that that's something a lot of teams struggle with, particularly when there is like a really big remote component. So is this something you prioritize as a team? Uh, If so, how do you prioritize it? Um, Would love to hear how y'all are approaching that. Yeah, it's a really good question. So I don't know about you, but I've read so many of the articles that it's like, this company's canceling all meetings. This company's getting rid of Slack. This company doesn't do email. So I would say we're not as prescriptive as, you know, don't do this, only do this. One of the things we've found is, you know, different teams work a little bit differently and therefore we don't want to be very rules heavy. I will say there's some things we've seen in terms of themes and like things that work or don't work super well. So for example, email is not something we use internally. It's just something that has come up as policy me kind of continued to grow up and we don't email each other. It's more something we do externally. So definitely we use our emails, but it's just, I I wouldn't be messaging anyone on my team via email Mm -hmm. uh, unless it was about an event or something that came through email in that type of way. We do use Slack. I know people have just like mixed opinions of what that means. I'll tell you why though for us, it works well. I think that one of the things that sometimes we forget is like, we're not robots, right? Like we're not robots. We don't have just one way of operating that is optimal. We're all different people. And for some of us, it really is about like being able to message someone, being able to connect with someone. And we do a lot of the, hey, do you have five minutes for a quick call? Which is very similar to stopping by someone's desk and being like, hey, can I ask you a quick question? And what we do is we have like that Zoom integration where you just go like backslash Zoom, just pop right in. (laughs) And you do just like a really quick call about something and then you're done. So what we find is we do a lot more of those like little tag ups on something uh, Mm -hmm. to just get through whatever question is needed. And then we continue with our days. I always say if it's like a bigger thing, like let's save it for our one-on-one with someone on my team. And then we essentially focus on it then. But if it's just a quick thing, it's easy to unblock and move forward, be it someone on my team really or anyone else in the company. Something else though, that I've really pushed for with my meetings and that I know a lot of others are doing now too, is when you are remote, it is super easy to end up on your screen all day in meetings and Zoom calls. And that's not really healthy. It's just not great for our eyes, for our heads. So I am a really big proponent of walk and talks. And Mm. if it wasn't for the the fact that this is like a video recorded podcast, (laughs) um, and I mean, and we're recording, so I wouldn't want to put you through like the the Mexico traffic while we're doing this. For for most people that I have a conversation with, be it someone on my team, be it external, be it one of our founders, be it a manager, be it a coaching call, if there's no screen sharing that's required, I say, hey, why don't we go on a walk? And we do a lot of these. And what I find is it really breaks up your day. You can still have a meaningful conversation. In fact, sometimes even more because you're not distracted by Slack messages popping up because you're really just focused on talking to the person as you go for a walk. So I think those types of spaces have been really, really helpful for people to just like really take advantage of the fact that we are flexible. 
And you don't need to do all your meetings on a computer. No one said it needed to be done that way. So for anything that we can think of different ways to do it, we try. And we are very okay with canceling meetings. So this is not a culture where like, if I were to say, oh, we have a meeting scheduled. Should I tell you that I don't really think we, it's like, no, hey, I don't really think we need this meeting. Yeah, we need to cancel. And that's what we do. And sometimes we just hold time in case we need it, you know, with someone that you work with closely or things like that. But if you don't need it, you just cancel it. Give yourself some time back. So I think it's important to set the norm of it's not about you. It's about the work. And it's really about each person trying to optimize their day and make the best use of the time that they can. So it really is about when we think about asynchronous communication and what works best. I think uh, like with many other things, just being open and transparent about, hey, this is working for me, this isn't, or hey, I need this differently, or hey, can we cancel this meeting? And there being no hard feeling, it's just super, super helpful. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And I, you know, I think it really does speak to like different things work for different people, right? And ha- and totally. like, you just kind of got to negotiate that as individual coworkers, as a team, as like a larger company, right? Of like what we mandate and what we just let people figure out and navigate and give them that space to say, hey, I want to do this walking. I don't think you need to see me right now. <laughs> like 100%. it's fine if we're just like talking. So I guess like as you've implemented these kind of structures at policy me, it feels like you've put a real um, emphasis on the employee engagement side. And I know that's something you talk about online a lot. Are there any things that you've implemented that you feel like have been a real game changer for the employee experience? Anything that other people ops pros should maybe consider implementing on their own team? Yeah, I think we just talked a lot about like the, the norms around communication, which I think is really important. But I do think, and you know, I'm a huge proponent from like, how can we give people most flexibility, work from anywhere, like those sorts of things. I do think there's something to be said for creating that culture of how are we going to build relationships remotely and when do we need to be in person? I do think that meeting in real life a few times a year is irreplaceable. Others may disagree, but there's something to be said about like meeting the humans you work with a few times a year just helps you feel so much closer. So what we do is we bring everyone together in person three times a year And when we're together in person, the focus is social connection. We're not doing company updates. We're not doing brainstorming as a company. We're not sharing progress. We can do all that remotely. It's really about how do we create a day where people get to do something a little different, get to enjoy each other's company. And that's why I was saying, I can't quite tell you what the end of May one is. Um, But what I can tell you is that the one that we did in January, uh, our winter ones are always like a little bit more indoors, just Canada and you know Toronto in January like it's so unpredictable but we did lunch at the office a whole thing of like in-person afternoon games with like team building we had these like policy meet cakes we celebrated birthdays anniversaries oh fun yeah it was super fun and then in the evening so normally we do between like a a venue or something a little bit smaller someone's house just like depending Mm -hmm. on the time of the year and what we're feeling now that we're bigger it's kind of harder to do like the backyard thing but we went to spin which is like a ping pong place so we were playing ping pong we did dinner there as like pastor it was so fun all got to hang out and then we went uh some people went out afterwards and we just kind of let the the evening go as people want we build our events uh, in a modular capacity so that there's a daytime component so that for anyone that's a parent or needs to leave earlier can still get to know everyone and enjoy the part of the day. So we really focus on it being uh, something that's accessible for, for everyone. 
And I will say the summer one, uh, last summer, we actually did a scavenger hunt during the day. And then we went to another really cool spot in the evening. Sometimes we do like fun new hire intros in person too. I do a lot of these remotely. So when you're saying, you know, other things that we've done, I I do actually introduce all of our new hires uh, at the monthly town halls or at the in-person events. And we do like fun intros on everyone. We ask some questions and it's just become like a big thing in our company. And I, I think what that does is it makes people feel welcome to the team and beyond just like posting in general on Slack and saying, Hey, I'm so-and-so here's my intro. It's like, it brings it to life um, yeah. and it helps people see shared interests. So there's what other things can I tell you? We, we do, so maybe I should go into a bit more detail. We actually do a monthly social uh, component where it's uh, one of the three in person that I was talking about. Yeah. There's three virtual company wide ones, and then there's six virtual or depending on the team, some of them do them in person, six team socials. So every month there's something and we give oh, every nice. team budget to do these so that they can organize something for themselves. They have the time, they have the ability to really plan a good activity. Um, and for our company-wide one, we actually just had it last Friday, the virtual one, and we did mm-hmm. um, a paint by numbers just based on something we're working <laughs> on product-wise. Uh, yeah. yeah, so we always do different things. Some are more educational, some are just more fun for for those. So, do you have an example of like what the team, one, one of the team ones, um, can look like? Yeah, so there's lots of things that teams have done. Um, virtual escape rooms, in-person escape rooms were still quite popular. Someone organized a beer tasting and then. Um, there also was like a non-alcoholic option for people that didn't drink and they just sent them a bunch of kombucha, which was so fun. Um, and then, yeah, they just like did it as a team, which was really cool on a Friday. Uh, they've done team trivia, depending on like if it's a bigger team or a smaller team, we've done code names lunch. So we play virtual code names and I'll order lunch in one time we did like, a buy someone like a funny thing and ship it to their home. Oh, yeah. So yeah, you know what I mean? Like with the budget. Yeah. 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 So um, we just try to do things that are like fun that get us to kind of step out of our day to day and get to know each other a little bit better. Yeah. I feel like that. I don't know about the, maybe there's no surprise in that surprise and delight, but like there kind of is. And I feel like it's the delight yeah. is, is the word I think of when you're describing just these like, yeah, these like monthly moments that are a little different that break up the day to day, the week to week, you know, and that's a really nice trait for the team. So I feel like there's so much more that I can tell you, though, in terms of things we've done for employee experience. I just want to be mindful of time. I'm going to tell you one more thing that's totally unrelated to the social aspect. And then maybe we can we can move on. Um, I feel like we could just have a whole conversation. Just Oh, yeah, we could do a whole episode about this. Yeah, we really could. Um, Maybe we should. Yeah, Uh, we do have a new hire buddy program, which are PM pals. So policy me pals. And they get assigned based on the new hire. We pick them each time based on who we think is going to be a good pal for someone. It's usually a person outside their team. So they get to know someone else in the company. And this is like a person that's there for them, you know, week one, ask any questions, get to know them. And what's cool is because we are remote first, these people don't meet until they see each other in person either for the most part. Yeah. So then when you're getting together in person, you're not just like, oh, I finally get to meet my team. You also get to meet your PM pal. So there's like a really cool connection outside of your team that you can immediately like go towards and have someone else that you know. And we really just try to make sure that, especially as we're getting a little bit bigger, that there's connection outside of just the core team that you're on so that you really feel like you understand the the broader organization too. 
Yeah, it's so important. I think that's always what I've tried to do when I've had like similar pro- like buddy programs is like, yeah, how do I find someone kind of like on a similar level who's like on a different team? Yes. So you have like a different perspective outside of your team. You can hear how other teams are doing things. And there is that like cross team sharing, right? Both for like yes. team projects, but also just like best practices for, for work and collaboration and async and all of those things. Love that. I am so sorry. I have to tell you one more. This is just like, I can't with myself. I'm like, I'm giving tips. They have to be all inclusive. So there's two more things that we do. And then one we stopped doing, which I think is interesting to hear about too. So we do demos uh, so that people can showcase their work every two weeks. And people can just like share updates on what they're working on. And then we also do warm and fuzzies at the end of those. So just shout outs for things that people have been uh, really great at. And then we also do a monthly town hall with the company updates. So that's run by our founders. We used to do every other Monday uh, social to start the week. We cut yeah. that out. It wasn't working. It just okay. like we had too much. As you can tell, we were doing a lot. And yeah. we realized with like these other initiatives, we just didn't need it. So we got rid of it because we got a lot of feedback that that wasn't quite what people wanted anymore. So uh, yeah. I think the most important thing to remember is, especially when you're operating remote first, is you have to listen. And you have to take that feedback. And if it's not working, get rid of it. Try something else. If that doesn't work, try something else. You just have to keep trying until you find what works. And I think people are very receptive when they see that they can give feedback and that that feedback is actioned on. Uh, And then they give you more feedback. And that's how you build that great environment. Totally. And, you know, I think that really speaks to like building it together, like we were talking about earlier, right? Like this is yeah. like it's a group effort. This is a, a collaborative culture. It's not like a top down initiative where we're saying we're going to do a social hour every Monday. It's like, no, do y'all want to send each other fun gifts or do you want to do a, a virtual? Exactly. You know, yeah. Like um, there's like autonomy there and, and it gives room for, for each team to kind of ha- put their own spin on it. Right. Like there were so many things that my team did my last company where like, I think from an outside perspective, like other people, obviously people would be like, you did what with your team? And you're like, well, that's what they wanted to do. Right. Like that was part of our inside joke. That was part yeah. of our culture. Like whatever. Love all these fun suggestions. Um, let's talk about a little bit of a, like a tougher topic, you know, like tech is going through a rough time right now. And there are lots of layoffs and scary news stories and, I think it's having a lot of impact on people, ops people specifically, because we take on so much of that, like a, emotional labor and um, and people stuff, right? So is this having any impact on how you and your team are thinking about your priorities or strategy for this year? Yeah, I think, you know, you and I were talking about this in advance of today. I think a really big thing for us has been just ruthlessly reprioritizing. And especially mm-hmm. on the hiring side of things, you know, we actually made a big change about a year ago from the let's grow at all costs, let's keep hiring to how do we do this sustainably? Yeah. Because we we knew that in order for, for us to be able to really grow as a team in a way that made sense, it, it wasn't going to be um, you know something we could compromise on. We couldn't just keep adding more people because if the money runs out, how do you pay those people? Yeah. And I know, again, seems simple, but it's what a lot of companies are going through right now. And we just said, we prefer to wait until we absolutely need to hire someone until we get to a point where it's just, it's really at the moment where we really, really, really need that person to keep growing and then we'll bring them on. We actually do have a set of questions that we make every manager go through, which are like mm-hmm. questions for consideration ahead of even thinking of hiring. And it's like, can this work be reallocated? Can anyone on your team take this on? Does anyone on your team want to upskill or grow in that space? Have you talked to them about it? So that we do really have the the ability to essentially be able to be sure that we really need that person. And then beyond that, beyond the hiring component, it really is about like, 
how can we keep essentially focusing on the areas where as a business, we see the most potential. And one of the things we've been talking a lot about is just like being open to piloting new things and comfort with change. And that means internally, you know, we may be reprioritizing projects or something that we just didn't feel as sure about if something bigger comes through, feeling like, hey, it's okay to change. And when we're measuring OKRs and people's progress, it's like, your work may change more than we originally thought, but it's to align to the market and to ensure that we can succeed as a business and just helping people feel comfortable with that change. Yeah, totally. And, you know, that's part of being at a startup, right? That's part of being in tech is that we do move quicker. Exactly. And not everyone wants to work at that speed. And, you know, there's a, a speed at which it is reckless and, you know, a little ridiculous and we need to try to like corral it. But I think oftentimes it's also about just like giving people the support and the skills they need to figure out if that's the right environment for them. And I'm a big fan of the the, the ruthless reprioritization. It's again, one of those things that sounds simple, but it's a lot harder than it actually is sometimes where you're like, yeah, I'm really attached to this or it's kind of working or maybe it's just not working yet. You know, like maybe we need to give it a little bit more. So yeah, props to prioritizing that. Something I'm always trying to get better at for sure. And so maybe kind of back to like this kind of like your advice, what, like generally, what advice would you give to someone who wants to do the kind of work that you want to do? I mean, so I would say I I wrote a list, so I'm just making sure I don't forget any points. Uh, Very me-like, but you know, know, very operational. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. Very. Yeah. You know, I think that like we're talking about at the beginning, there isn't like a clear way to get into the people space. Sure. um, If you're set on it when you're in your studies and you go right into it, perhaps it's just the path you take. But if you're not in it and you're thinking about getting into it, I I always say, you know, start building a network before you need Absolutely. one. And that looks different ways. That looks like getting on LinkedIn and starting to comment and like and be a part of conversations that other people are sharing. It means starting your own conversations. It means going to events in person, those exist again, and meeting other humans and talking to them about what they do. It means being the type of person that's going to offer help when you see someone asking so that, you know, you are filling up that good karma for when you yeah. need when you need to essentially be the one that asks for help. So I always say, you know, try to have as many conversations as you can. And just this is just in, in general advice to start to understand what it looks like. And then one of my approaches for trying to figure out, is this the right role for you, is really come up with your set list of questions of what are you trying to find out? And come up with your list of people of who do I think would be interesting to talk to about this. And I think it's super important to think about like, what level would you be going into and actually talking to people in your role? Because if you're going to be going in as, you know, just an entry level people in culture generalist role, amazing. But like, find those people. Don't find the manager of those people. Because that manager is not going to be necessarily able to tell you what that looks like and answer all your questions. Maybe that manager is a great person to say hi to and say, hey, I've been talking to people about this role. I've learned X, Y, Z. I'm super keen. I saw you have an opening on your team. Amazing. But they're not the person necessarily to go to about like, what would it look like to be a generalist? So really think about whose role it makes sense to dive deeper Mm -hmm. into. And then I always say, when you're asking for someone's time, just think like, what can you give them back? Right? Because it, it really is one of those things where people are so busy. There's so much going on. Budgets are cut. Like we've been talking about Everyone is doing more with less. So just, I always say when I personally ask for someone's time, I always say, if there's ever anything that I can do or like something you're trying to do, intros, engaging with your content, whatever, just tell me and I'm happy to do it. And I think that's a really good way to just like build good relationships. And then I was talking to someone else about this. 
I do think one of the best things you can do also is like join people operations communities. I actually just wrote about this on LinkedIn today. There's a bunch, some that are just like Slack communities you can join, some that are like invitation only groups, but that you can apply to. And based on your role, they kind of let you in and you meet other like-minded people. And those places are really where you can start to understand the differences and similarities. I will say the role is not the same in all the companies, right? Absolutely. And yeah, and some is like, in some companies, like I said to you, I own strategy. In some companies, the founders fully own strategy. I'm saying I own it, but like, obviously I work with founders on it. But, you know, it's a difference between like truly being at the table versus being like more of a supporting role. And thinking about what role you want to play, what drives you, what motivates you. So I, I think my best piece of advice just to sum it up would be like, figure out why you like the space, what part of the space you like, and then target there. Because when people just say to me, hey, I want to move into people and culture space. Okay. What do you like about it? Yeah. What part? You know, do you want to be a recruiter? Do you want to be a generalist? Are you motivated by bringing people into a business? Are you motivated by learning and development? Is it like, it's just, it's so big. It's just important to understand why. And if you say, I like all of it. Okay. Well, probably a generalist role. Yeah. Uh, you know, that would be a good place to start. You get to touch a little bit of everything. But it's just, it's good to understand when you say, I like everything. Why? Yeah. And I, I think that really helps give that clarity. Totally. And I think some people, you know, this is true about everything that sometimes we go general because we think that that's like how to cast the widest net, but actually like there's power and specificity because it makes it easier for people to help you, right? Like mm-hmm. if someone's reaching out, saying, hey, like, I want to get into this space. And I like everything. And it's like, okay, cool. But like, can you give me a little bit more? Are you prioritizing fintech companies or generalist roles or generalist roles that fit? Like, give me something so I can like, you know, also like a whole other bucket is like company size, right? Some people are like, I want to work at a 10 person startup. I want a 50 person startup. I want to work at a thousand plus person company. These roles are so different. So absolutely. I yeah, that's a really good point. I forget about that one. Yeah. So yeah, I think the more specific you can be, and then you can always give it the caveat of like, you know, when I'm open to other stuff, but like this is this would be the dream, right? Like you have a dream. Tell me the dream. Like let's focus on that and then work outwards. Well love that. I guess before we wrap up, I usually I like to end these episodes with what I call the brag book. Um, because so much of uh, mm-hmm. operations work happens behind closed doors and in a silo and oftentimes with people who like aren't necessarily big braggers. And so let's talk about a project that you're really proud of, whether it was at Policy Me or in, a, in another role. Um, you know, set the stage for us. What were you trying to do? What did you do and and what happened? Yeah. So we talked a little bit about this one and I was really thinking there's so many different things I could share, but this one there's a few different reasons why I'm really proud of this one. So I'm going to just tell you the context and what happened. So we, as we started growing, some people started moving into manager roles that were first-time managers. And I started coaching people one-on-one and I started getting a lot of the same questions. And then our founders also said, hey, like, looks like we might need to do some manager training. And I said, okay, perfect. I'm going to build this. Like, I know how to do it. Excellent. And then I started. (laughs) You're like, what did I get myself into? I was like, this is so time consuming to build all this content and deliver it. And I started looking and I started asking, uh, you know, in those communities that I'm a part of, what has everyone used? What do you find? Did you like it? Did you not like it? And in, I'm in a senior HR leaders group and someone there connected me with someone else. Her name's Susie. And she said to me, have you heard of Elevate Leadership? And at the, at the time, I already was looking at a few options, exploring some conversations with consultants. I said, no. I said, I think you should talk to them. They're a startup out of the US. Basically, they like build a content, but you use it to deliver it. And you can tweak it. So you can kind of make it your own. And you can choose from like a bunch of stuff 
and build a program that makes sense for you. And I said, great, like, let's talk to them. So um, we set up time, I met one of the founders, Lindsay, and she was amazing. And they had just brought on Melissa over from Google to the, she used to lead L&D there. And the two of them were just like, yeah, this is how we can do it. This is what it would look like to work together. And I said to them, look, like, I don't have a huge budget. And they were like, that's okay. We're a startup too. I'm like, let's build this together. And we started working together late last year around like October, November on what this was going to look like. How are we going to build a six month program? What's going to be included? How do we make sure it's like tangible and like really targeted and like, they have these videos that are, you know, four to 10 minutes. And then they have a guide for a class. So I run a class and discussions with a group and the classes end up being 45 to 60 minutes. And I tweak them a little bit based on our own needs. And the feedback that we've gotten has just been amazing. And one of the best things that happened was we had gotten this feedback in the survey as well, that people were looking for it. And then as soon as they started seeing what it was going to be like, even that first survey at the start of Q1 for this year already was like, people were so excited about it. And there were so many comments, so excited for manager training, so excited to like learn more about leadership. And it was just so cool to see that they felt like so heard by the thing we were going to be launching. And I'm actually running our next engagement survey starting next week. So I'm super curious to see how they're feeling now that we're about halfway through. And I already just know anecdotally, the feedback we've gotten has been super good in terms of like, the content, how useful it is. People also have access to platforms so they can like look at content on their own and reinforce it. Or when we have questions, we can refer back to it together. There's one page summaries. So it just really became this tool that I was able to leverage as like a people and culture team of one at that moment, because I had one recruiter on my team, but she was not focused on this. And it just like totally amplified my ability to deliver. And I would say the quality of the training we're offering is incredible. Like I wish I would have had this back when I was a first time manager. And it's just like, it's everything. You know what I mean? From like how to give feedback, how to receive feedback, how to give praise, how to run effective one-on-ones, how to build trust with your team, psychological safety, like how to ensure you're having good career development conversations. Like it's everything. And it's just like, I feel so empowered by this partnership and just like how we run it, how we go about it. And we're going to run a cohort every six months so that all the new managers we hire are able to go through it as well. You know, maybe there'll be some times where we do one a year instead of two a year. We'll see based on how much hiring happens, but we can even run smaller. You know what I mean? It can be like a five person cohort instead of a 12 one. So it's just really cool to have been able to build that. We spun it up quickly. It's the feedback has been so good. It's just one of those things that, you know, where you're like, I have this idea. I think we need to do this. This is what I think it could look like. You start it and you're like, this was a lot more than I thought it was going to be. And then you find a solution that is like amazing. And you're just like, this made so much sense for us. This is so good. You know, they've been working to build a training for a lot of other big companies too, uh, that are bigger than us, bigger tech startups. And it's just like, it's been such a blessing to, to have them as a partner. And yeah, I can only say, yeah, I love I that. Feel, this feels like a promotion for them. But like, it's just, it's just one of those things where, you know, sometimes you find partners that you're like, you feel like you're an extension of my team. Yeah. And those are the people that you continue to go to and you talk to one another and you're kind of like in that same space together. Right. And that's also how you build, build those meaningful connections. So I think it kind of like comes full circle to what we're talking about, right? Like, how do you continue to grow in the space? What does it really look like to be in this role? And it really is about figuring out like, 
who are your humans that are going to really help you thrive through it as well, especially in the smaller stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And that project just has so many wins, right? Like that's a, so, so many, many wins. wins. Like I think it's awesome that your, that your new managers were so excited for it because like, first of all, that's like a great sign that <laughs> the managers are excited for manager yes. training, but that is something that so few managers get and that every single one needs, right? Like myself included. And just to be able to give them such a comprehensive training is such a service to them and your team, right? Like that's just it is one of those things that's like such a great investment and pays dividends, but is such a hard nut to crack when you're sitting at the beginning and you're like, where do I start? So, and then for it to pay off so directly in the feedback survey, I love it. Yes. Well, everyone who's, who's looking at that long outline, they just wrote for new manager training. Maybe maybe check out Elevate because you got a rigged endorsement here. So Vanessa, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us and and share all your engagement pro tips and and all your all your insights. Really appreciate the time. Yeah, thank you so much. It was so lovely speaking. All right. Well, thanks everybody. Thanks for listening to Opsy. You can find resources and links from this episode in the show notes at opsy.org. And while you're there, I hope you'll take a second to join our free community where we share resources and opportunities that help us all level up in our ops careers. Again, that link is opsy.work. Until next time, stay opsy, friends.